edition, a long-awaited edition. Well, maybe not awaited because I don't know how many of you are out there counting down the days until I finally get around to getting in front of this mic again. It's been way too long. Uh, The last time I think we did this was May 27th, and here we are at June 10th. And uh, my hope is, uh, well, let me back it up here. Um, this uh, you're listening to the I'm out of practice uh, you're listening to the love you later by podcast the psych monologues I'm Dr. Ray Mitch your host and and um, I am glad to be back in front of the mic after a absence of of, of a couple of weeks uh, I had uh, to take some time to get away and get my mind focused on uh, getting some work done on a book that has been 10 years in the making and it's about time that uh, this little thing get birthed finally uh, so uh, I took some time to do that and then also just to recover from uh, the crush of all the things that were coming at me as a result of school ending and all the other things so um, that's the that's a little bit of the backstory that uh, brings us brings me up to date at least with uh, all of you. Uh, the where we left off, I I am um, walking into I feel like I'm walking into uh, a vortex of headlines of what appears to be someone. Uh, made a, a more dramatic statement of it seems like the world is on fire and uh, I have been watching along with everybody else the unfolding events of of uh, the death of George Floyd and a lot of the debates that are going on um, uh, whether on social media or in the uh, news media or anywhere else and uh, the more I I think through it and um, try to wrap my head around it, I find myself um, wrestling, I think. And that's probably consistent with most of the people that I have talked to, albeit not that many, uh, because once once I hit the summer, I, I don't seem to talk to many people outside of my family um, in thinking about and talking about this. And so I... Uh, I thought that uh, I would take a brief reprieve from looking at some of the life lessons. This is every bit as as much of a life lesson as anything is in our discussion about reconciliation, uh, even more importantly, racial reconciliation. Um, and I I want to drill down to uh, the the core elements of talking about this particular issue uh the the background let me give you just a little bit of a background of where i'm coming from um and i the 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 thing that uh maybe i don't i don't know if i can provide it but um the the thing that i bring to talking about this as a white person uh is that um I've gotten exposed and wrestled with some of these issues a little bit, probably a little bit earlier than maybe most. I don't know. Uh, I'm not the judge of that. Uh, but I, uh, I met a uh, remarkable person about 25 years ago, um, somewhere in that vicinity, when I was 
doing uh, this old time thing that we used to call radio show. And I had a variety of people coming in to speak on my radio show. And one of those people was a African-American pastor uh, from the inner city of Chicago by the name of Dr. Raleigh Washington. And I brought him in to talk on the show about racial reconciliation back then and, and, uh, and some of the things that he was doing at uh, Rock of Our Salvation Church in the Austin neighborhood in Chicago in, um, in uh, conjunction with and in, in partnership with uh, something called Circle Urban Ministries. Um, and I, I'm, I launched into this without really checking about uh, where those ministries stand right now. I don't really know. I suspect that they are still enduring and uh, are probably finding themselves equally in the, in the center of a lot of this same debate. So I met with this uh, uh, African-American pastor and, and I got my education from Dr. Wally Washington. Uh, he, he and I became fast friends and continued our relationship over the years after that. Uh, and at his um, encouragement and invitation, my family and I came to Colorado as a result of uh, his ministry and his call for racial reconciliation through the men's ministry called Promise Keepers. And I was, I was very much taken and um, convicted, and uh, I had a lot to learn uh, about the world as it's seen from uh, a African American's eyes. And I was sensitized uh, to a great degree. I was invited to be part of the department uh, or the group that was um, leading the charge in racial reconciliation of Promise Keepers. And I, I, I was in the minority in that group. Uh, I was the only white male in it. Of course, Promise Keepers was a, a ministry to men. And uh, so I, I got to learn um, in uh, close detail uh, what the world is like. And I listened. I did a lot of listening in the midst of all of that. And I learned a lot. I learned a load of stuff that actually now impacts the stuff that I teach at CCU and I use. There's a lot of the material that I, I learned um, at, uh, with Raleigh that uh, I use in the weddings that I do and in the teaching that I do and even some of the, the things that I talk a lot about that my students have gotten fairly well accustomed to. So when I hear this uh, debate begin to break out and around the kind of lightning rod of what we saw of the police officer with George Floyd and all the things that came out as a result of all of that, it really brought back um, to me the, the, the times that I had spent, uh, whether it's driving places with Dr. Washington or sitting in his office or sitting with the team and talking about how we could begin to begin to uh, facilitate the discussion around in the church, primarily in the church, around this particular issue. And uh, after a period of time, 
uh, it seemed like my season of ministry with Promise Keepers came to a close and and uh, I, I moved back into the counseling world that I was probably more comfortable with, but I had left my comfort zone to be part of that team and I will be forever grateful and thankful for what I learned there um, from my friends my, and uh, my friends um, that are that were there they're not there any longer um, and uh, I, I have um, my life has been indelibly marked and changed by the friends that I have both black Hispanic and Asian that were part of our team the team there at Promise Keepers so that's a little bit of the background of where I'm coming from to talk about this and this is just going to be an aside uh, partly because there is a lot of debate that I hear around um, group issues. Uh, you, you hear the word systemic racism and you hear about white privilege and you hear about a lot of things that I think oftentimes tempts us for our eyes to glaze over because at an individual level, we look at it and, f- and feel like, what can I possibly do about that? And, and it's, it's a legitimate question. It's, not a, it's a question that's asked, I think, of sincere people, not people that are trying to dodge the issue. So um, what I want to do is try to drill down to the individual level and talk about uh, the, the building blocks that I believe w- would be necessary for a continuing dialogue about racial reconciliation within the church and the bigger topic even of reconciliation within our relationships period because the reality is is that we get into these discussions about this and and before too long somebody is disagreeing with another person and they're debating over the particular categories that they're talking about and they have completely missed one another as a matter of fact, the disagreement gets personalized very quickly, and the minute that happens, there will be no conversation any longer. So um, what I wanted to take some time to do in, in this particular podcast is to talk about reconciliation and just how distorted it's become, even within the church. And, and I'm going to uh, decouple it from the discussion and the di- uh, the discussion around racial reconciliation, and focus only on reconciliation itself. And and there are a couple things that I want to nail down. The first thing is is the overriding theme of Scripture is reconciliation, because the minute Adam and Eve decided to go their own way and lop off God out of their relationship with each other. They, they become, became unreconciled from God. And from that point forward, he pursued humanity through the halls of history until Jesus came to be the reconciliation for us between God and man. The theme has been reconciliation, and we are called to be agents of reconciliation, which means we better have a pretty clear understanding of what exactly reconciliation is. So in order to to unpack that, I want to take just a little time to clarify some key issues that I think are important 
in this discussion. <clears throat> if you want to take it and expand it into this discussion around racial reconciliation, it can easily be done. And I will leave that to you. And, and um, I, I think this is going to be a brief, uh, some would call it a rabbit trail, but I think it's, it's a brief uh, uh, rest stop to sit and talk about some, some stuff that I think is relevant to where we are all living at this point in time. So um, th this is what I want to start with, is that reconciliation is actually a, a, a constellation of things within our relationships. And it involves three different things. The first thing it involves is repentance, confession and repentance. I kind of put those two things together. The th second thing the second thing the second thing it involves is forgiveness and the third thing is reconciliation and in a lot of cases at least in the christian conversation that that i have had over the years and talking to people is we seem to conflate all of these things together and what i want to do is i want to pull these things apart so that we can be clear about our role my role in seeking reconciliation with somebody else how whatever that might be and so <clears throat> let me start with the first part and the first part of that is what i said earlier is what i connect together is confession and repentance and, and again, I, I, it's really important if we're going to have this conversation about reconciliation for us to be really clear about what our terms are. And so let me start with that in terms of confession and repentance. First of all, confession. Confession means to say the same thing as. I mean, when I, when I confess to God my sins, where I have missed the mark, and I have done things that um, separate me from him. I, in essence, am saying the same thing as he would be saying about my separation from him. It is not me making an excuse. It is not me saying, well, if I had or if I could have or I did this because. <coughs> no. It is simply saying the same thing as. And it's a short jump when we think about this in the context of the current cultural discussion for a person, a white person, to say the same thing as a person of color. Now we can say, well, what if I don't agree? I, I don't know that I have to agree. But I have to admit that perhaps the world that we live in is a world that I don't know very well because there's a filter blocking my ability to see it through their eyes. So my confession then becomes a, a, a pursuit of sensitivity and sincerity to understand the world through their eyes and be able to say it that way which is what confession is 
is confession ends up being a realization of the world as it is, not as the world as I would have it, and not as the world as I straight up see it, as if I see it completely objectively. Because ultimately, I can't. I always have a bias. Always. I mean, I have a bias about the light that's sitting in front of me. I don't care. It, it, it serves the purpose that I want it to. But if I'm sitting in a dark room, I will have a bias, if you want to put it that way, about the light. Because I want it on so that I can see better. So the confession is saying the same thing as. And secondly, the other part that is part of the, <clears throat> the understanding of reconciliation is repentance. And see, in repentance, the interesting thing, even from a scriptural point of view, is the Hebrew doesn't really have a word for repentance. It has a word that's, that, that, that's uh, pronounced as teshuva, which means to return. And I think if we're talking about it that way, then return to what? And I would suggest to you that it's returning to relationship. But teshuva, even in its fuller understanding, is to return to one's original position in relationship with another. So we, in the Hebrew, we have the word teshuva. In the Greek, which is where we oftentimes land and talk the most about, is the word metanoia, which means changed mind, changing one's mind. Now, if we focus only on changing one's mind, again, I think our eyes glaze over and say, yeah, yeah, I think I can do that. But it, it, nobody lays out a map for me to change my mind. Nobody gives me a, you know, a 10-point formula about changing my mind. And name your subject, whether it's changing my mind about my behavior or about my implicit assumptions that I make about other people that I that because they're implicit I don't even evaluate but changing my mind while sounds good how do I go about doing that <laughs> you know the interesting thing in psychology is what we know is that attitudes and behaviors inform one another they are what we call a mutually uh, uh, influenced system. In other words, my attitudes, beliefs, etc., those influence my behaviors and when I behave on those attitudes, it influences my attitudes more. Which means that I can enter that circle at at either point. Because in our Christian world, I can be so convicted of something that my attitude seems to make a dramatic paradigm shift and I begin to behave differently and then there are other points in time where I, I, I just I do something different behavior and then suddenly I begin to get new information and my attitudes start to change because I've impacted the world in a different way than I usually do so one side of the street that leads to reconciliation starts with confession and repentance by one person or both, or both. And that's part of the one-way street. So if I've 
harmed somebody, I'm called to repent, to confess and to repent of my the impact of my behavior on them. And I understand it so well that I can confess it in a way that they understand, they know that I know the impact of my behavior on them. And I know what it has done to them. That's a remarkable thing, quite honestly. And it takes a great amount of humility to do that. Our tendency, my tendency, is to always say, you know, to communicate maybe the impact of my behavior, but always add something at the end of that, and that's a but. Or some ellipse because it's a pause, and then I move on to explaining why I did what I did. The hardest part of confession and repentance is to have it end with a period and stop dead stop at the end of that so if we're going to find reconciliation we need to have one one-way street heading in its direction called confession and repentance the other one-way street which doesn't require anybody else and and again let me clarify something repentance is not asking for forgiveness it is not the illusion underneath that is that in most cases, and again, I'll underline that, in most cases, asking for forgiveness is not really an ask. It's a trade. And so what I do is I say, well, I'm going to repent. I'm going to own my behavior. I'm going to own my part in trade for your forgiveness. Would you forgive me? So it's not really a request, it's a trade, for one. And secondly, even subtly, it's a demand, particularly amongst Christians, because after all, I don't want to be unforgiving. If somebody asks me to forgive them, then I must forgive them. Now, over time that may be so, but the reality is, is what, if I'm going to repent, it's none of my business whether you choose to forgive me or not. Actually, it's between you and God whether you forgive me or not. I can't do anything about that. And for me to ask of it for it may be actually premature and maybe even a denial of the hurt that you're experiencing. And I'm saying, get over your hurt. Just give me that forgiveness and I can move on. And that's pretty superficial repentance, quite honestly. So one street is he- this because we've got two streets that are heading toward a crossroads. And one street is a one-way street where I become convinced of, my, of how I have hurt somebody else. And I confess and repent whether or not I have any guarantee of forgiveness from the other person. I may not, but I am still called to re- confess and repent. The other one-way street that is heading toward this intersection is forgiveness. And forgiveness is actually composed of two things as well. And, you know, in repentance, we've got confession and repentance. In forgiveness, we have the choice to forgive. And then we have to find a way to work through the issues that are related to being hurt by another person. That's the process of forgiveness. So we have the decision, and then we have the process of forgiveness. 
And that I am called to forgive. It is not forgive if somebody repents. It is not saying forgive when somebody repents. It is forgive. And you know how I can say that? Because that's exactly what God's done for us. Because we're told that even while we were still enemies of God, he forgave us. He sent Jesus to reconcile us to him. So forgiveness is a decision and a process. And I can't forgive if I'm not clear about what it is or how it is that I've been harmed. And so I need to identify how I've been harmed. I need to identify the emotions and feelings because oftentimes feelings are the channels into the deepest core of how I've been affected by the person's behavior or whatever it is that they've done. And I move into that. And eventually I get to this place where I can identify it and, and um, communicate it to people that appreciate the importance of articulating and expressing these emotions and thoughts and conclusions and all of these things. And then I can finally get to this place where I can say, all right, I'm going to cancel the debt. I am not going to hold this over you anymore. Now, that doesn't mean I flip a switch, everything's cool. That doesn't mean that at all. As a matter of fact, in most cases, that the process of forgiveness is oftentimes a daily thing that I end up having to do for a, over a period of time. I'm not going to say a long time because it implies some measure of time. There's no time. It's, it's a commitment to living forgivingly with with the person or the people that I've been in, involved with. So we have one one-way street coming into this intersection. We have another one-way street coming into this intersection. And at the intersection, guess what happens? Reconciliation. Because reconciliation is the restoration of harmony. It doesn't mean there's con there isn't conflict. doesn't mean that at all. But it's ironic because, like I said a few minutes ago, it's at the crossroads of repentance and forgiveness that reconciliation occurs. And we come to that crossroads ready to do both. The only way that will happen is that if both people are committed to the relationship and not covering over things and making and and creating this facade of peace or avoiding conflict. No, it is none of that. But we end up having hard work to do that if we're going to seek reconciliation, then in many cases I I may have some confessing and repenting to do. And in other cases I may have forgiving to do. But when those things come together, then we, reconciliation is possible. It is not guaranteed. It is not guaranteed. And so when I forgive, it will be displayed in the things that I do and the position I take and how I interact with the, the person or persons that we're talking about. Is it easy? No. 
And the worst part about it is, is that if I repent, I have no guarantee that the person's going to forgive. Or if I forgive, that the other person's going to accept or or repent of and see how they've harmed me. I have no guarantee of any of that. <clears throat> but I can tell you that the only way reconciliation can occur is in the context of freedom and trust in what God may be doing in the hearts of men. Because ultimately, the answer to this big issue is not in policies. Policies support it. Government policies and other things. And I get it. I, I understand all of that that has laid the foundation for the explosive way that we are talking about looking at and dealing with this issue. But I'm not talking about that. Because it really ultimately is in the hearts of men that that change has to occur. And if it shows up in their relationships with one another, there, there is some hope that that can happen in a bigger context. But it starts in the hearts of men. It does not start at the upper levels of government. It doesn't. I, there, government is littered with broken people just like everybody else that is not part of that. We're all broken. I got it. But the hope that there is, is what I do in my relationship with my brother and sister in Christ. The hope is there. And what I do toward moving toward, doing, do in moving toward, a brother and sister in Christ, whether they're a person of color or not. But when they are a person of color, I educate myself and sensitize myself and enter into that conversation with enough humility and sacrifice that stands down so that I can spend the time listening, not hearing, but listening. Not with my biases and everything else, but listening to understand so that we can begin to forge a dialogue that out of that comes the intimacy and reconciliation that we desire. It's only at that level that that can happen. And I, I know to some <clears throat> listening to this, they'll say, <clears throat> that is pie in the sky. Good luck with that. But I don't know about you, but I... I, I can't do anything with a group. I, I really can't. But when I look a friend in the eye, I can do something there. And I may not get it right. <clears throat> I may not get it right the first time or the 10th time or whatever. But if I pursue a willingness to enter in, make mistakes, not do it perfectly, enter in and make mistakes... There's, there's a chance that something can actually happen. And out of that, empowerment shows up. Because empowerment oftentimes is, power is not equal. It never is. Particularly in our culture. In our culture and in our society, power is not equal. And if I want to empower somebody, whoever that might be, then I may have to invest power into them 
which means me standing down so that I can I can even things up here so that we can stand on equal ground so reconciliation the building blocks of reconciliation are forgiveness and repentance and confession and we can't be in any position well we can but it's not very helpful we can't be in any position to look at the other person and say well if I forgive then you must repent or if I repent you must forgive because it's not freedom it's not freedom at all and again I hearken back to the model that Jesus gave us and God gave us that Jesus died while we were still enemies there was no guarantee that we were going to respond to him there was no guarantee but it was a it was a <laughs> it's hard to call it a gamble because God knows everything but it was a gamble and in the sense that that the one thing I know is the one thing that I say all the time is that love flourishes in freedom anything that ha- that robs freedom is not love and we have that same dilemma on our hands when we're talking about or even looking at this issue of reconciliation even reconciliation in the bigger context of of a incredibly complex problem called racial reconciliation and i would rather spend a little time talking about the basic elements of this and defining our terms before we we begin to the the larger discussion that needs to be had i am not debating that at all i've had these discussions they're not easy they're hard they're hard to always feel guilty or hard to feel like you're doing something wrong or hard to feel like i i just don't know how to fix this thing and the issue isn't fixing it as much as it is trusting and building a relationship and moving into it with the other person so that that launched into a bigger subject than maybe uh, was intended um, it is part of my heart and that's what drew me to working with raleigh washington and promise keepers and coach mack and why i landed in the reconciliation the racial reconciliation department was because my life had been spent helping people find reconciliation in their relationships the next big step at least was seeing what i could do within the church to help us link arms with people that are different than us and value diversity while at the same time maintaining unity and that's what we're called to and that's that's for what it's worth so that's it for tonight that's that's uh the brief uh stop off off of the the road that we've been on looking at some life lessons and things of that sort um and so that that's it for tonight a couple of things just to remind you again since i haven't been on for a while uh, be sure to hit the website at drmitch.com 
uh, we are, I am still uh, encouraging people to look at and, and think about ways that they can partner uh, with um, me and uh, providing a opportunity for CCU students to go on silent retreats in the coming weeks. I, I don't exactly know when that will be. I will have some focused discussions with some people, students and others about what silence and the role that it plays in our relationships. Funny thing about it is, is that out of silence comes the kind of wisdom that allows us to accomplish this very thing that I'm talking about. Not out of a, a plethora of words, but out of silence, which means I've got to shut my mouth enough to listen. So the silent retreats is one. Uh, the other is other resources. Subscribing to the web or the, the uh, podcast here, you can do that on the website, or you can do it at raymitch.podbean.com. Uh, I will be turning my attention to trying to move this into uh, the uh, iTunes universe eventually. I don't know when. When I do, I'll make sure to let you know. And uh, I think that's it for tonight. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been my pleasure spending a little time with you. I will see you again next week for whatever the world may throw at us and the other uh, uh, topics that might uh, come and hit the radar that I feel like I need to talk about. Uh, it, it seems a little grandiose that anyone would be all that interested in, in uh, my reflections on this, but there it is for you for what it's worth. So, blessings to all. Love ya. Later. Later.